honestly, it's just, it's so stressful to me to, if you're really doing a really like deep revision to tear apart something that like, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't have written it in the first place. Right. That's generally my mindset, but it's hard to take something apart and like have it be in pieces. And I know it's going to come back together, but I don't like it being apart in the first place. Welcome to What Were You Thinking, the podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Hi, welcome to another episode of What Were You Thinking? Today, are you ready to go back to high school? Are you ready to channel some John Hughes? Maybe that's just me. But this debut novel from Kalina Miller, The Night When No One Had Sex, completely put me back into high school, but in a good way. I have to say I love it when the title of a book is a spoiler, because obviously in this novel, nobody is getting any. So close your eyes. It's time to go back to prom. Let's relive it a little bit with author Kalina Miller. Okay, let's talk about The Night When No One Had Sex. This book just, even though it's written contemporary, it fully pushed me back into my high school years. And I really appreciated that because, you know, even though high school wasn't the best, it's not the best for anybody, but I feel the experiences are similar, whether it's 1980s or 2020s. Yeah, I think, uh, I think especially like prom night stories have a tendency to be kind of timeless in that way, because it is a tradition that so many people have gone through or have refused to go through in one way or another. Um, And so in that way, it can be, like you said, both both grounded in a very like here and now contemporary world, but also be like a total throwback for older readers. And where did the idea for the novel come from? Okay, so I um, I got my MFA at Hamlin University in their uh, children and young adults program, uh, writing for children and young adults, I mean. Um, and I was in a workshop with um, a writer, Emily Jenkins, who's E. Lockhart. Emily Jenkins, also known as E. Lockhart, is an author of kids' books, some adult books, and some YA novels. In fact, We Were Liars is on my shelf right now in my to-be-read pile. According to Wikipedia, across the genres of adult books, young adult books, and children's books, she's penned more than 37 books. I can't even. I tip my hat to that kind of accomplishment. Holy cow who I absolutely adored and looked up to. And I submitted a piece from a different manuscript I was working on that uh, was a sex scene. And she made the offhand comment that I was good at writing sex scenes. And people should know not to compliment me because I will take it entirely too far. (laughs) But I started writing a book that was composed entirely of sex scenes, sort of on a whim as a joke. But then I kind of, I, I really enjoyed the voice that came out and so I sort of backtracked and was like okay if this were to be a real thing let's you know think of a plot and characters and you know all those 
bones that a book actually needs. But it originally started kind of on a whim as a joke. Right. That's quite a transformation from a book of back-to-back sex scenes and the night when no one had sex. Yeah, I wanted it, it. Originally, I was just writing Julia's point of view, like very sort of the nitty gritty trying and failing to have sex, which worked for one character, but obviously that isn't enough to sustain a novel. And so I was sort of backtracking and thinking what other hijinks would fit within this world and within sort of the closed room vibe. So how did the other characters evolve in your, like, cause you start, you said you started with Julia and then. I started with Julia and I sort of imagined her friend group and what sort of people would be, you know, drawn into that circle. Right. Because in friend groups, there's always a certain something that ties people together or that they have in common. And so I think thinking about those characters as friends first, and then later on as individuals and what they could be dealing with that day. And it was also sort of a way, I think when you're writing multiple POVs, so this book has four POVs, it's all, it's, it's kind of fun because you get to bring out little story snippets that maybe you've wanted to play with before, but didn't have enough to withstand being an entire book. And so I find like college admissions really fascinating and very like nail bitey and stressful. So that was always something I'd wanted to do. Um, I, I really enjoyed writing a character with chronic illness and thinking about how she would interact with this in this space. And so it was sort of bringing a lot of other smaller ideas that I'd had before and thinking, how can, how can that work here? How can I shove everything I've got into one book? You did a really good job of it. I, 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 I loved all these characters. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but if you were at a party and your characters were your friend group, how would you introduce them to other people? Let's start with Julia. All right. I would, I think Julia is very much sort of the like zany up for anything friend who has a softer side, but she kind of hides behind a wall of humor a lot. Um, And with her boyfriend, she's been with him for a long time. So I think, you know, they're kind of like that couple that's sort of dependent on one another. Like you're not going to invite one without the other. That would be awkward. And so I think she's both part of that duo, but also as an individual, she has sort of all these quirky niche interests. Um, But underneath, and she's sort of, you know, insecure and worried about the future like everybody is. Okay. What about Alex? Alex is super chill, awkward, quiet, um, you know, has never been with a girl before tonight, doesn't really talk to girls. He's sort of like that awkward gamer bro that may or may not have been based on my husband. Um, And, but I think he fits in really well with this group because he does have, you know, sort of the same softer side that Julia does and can be really like compassionate, especially with people that he's comfortable with. Okay. Who would be next? Let's talk about Zoe. Zoe. Okay. Zoe is total know-it-all, very put together, likes to be in control, but like for a good reason, like she's good at being in control. So you kind of want to resent her for always wanting to be in charge, but also she's the best at it. So that's sort of a fine line to walk. Um, I think she is, you know, kind of quick to anger, but also quick to forgive. And she's sort of, 
I don't know, like mom vibes, you know, you, you kind of need like a mom of the friend group who's going to make sure everybody's doing okay. And Madison. Madison, lots of angst, very angry, a little bit self-involved, but like, aren't we all, I mean, she's going through a lot and she tends to take that out on other people. But again, I, I personally think she has, you know, perfectly good reason to take that out on other people because other people are annoying. So what was your favorite part of the book to write? I really, I really enjoyed writing the parts where the characters sort of, where their stories crisscrossed with each other. I think I'm like, I tend to be sort of a logical storyboarder in that way. And so that was really fun for me because they are sort of on four different tracks. But when those tracks intersect in fun ways, that was really, it was tricky because it was sort of like, how are we going to do this and have it show up in both POVs? But it was also really fun to sort of logic out that it was like a puzzle to solve, kind of. And the 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 text conversations, the group texts. Were you worried that it would be hard to follow because it it's it texting doesn't follow logical conversation? Yeah, I was hoping people would sort of give me the benefit of the doubt there because like what group chat is easy to follow, and so I was hoping like you know relying on realism there and not necessarily a classic narrative structure, if you will. Um, yeah, when those started, I was really just amusing myself, and it was later on where I realized like okay, here we can actually learn a lot more about the characters. We can actually bring these plots together and move them forward, even when it's out of the scene. Um, but yeah, I definitely was relying on the premise that people would sort of like go along with the zaniness. Right away, I realized that, oh yeah, this is really how text group, group text conversations go, right? People make comments on a comment that was like four comments ago. Right. Or you'll have two like parallel conversations happening at once. And like these two people are talking and these two people are talking and this one's complaining about these people and... What was the hardest part of the book for you to, to write or to get through? I honestly, the, the ending was, I have a hard time with endings just as a, as a blanket statement. So that was difficult, but I think this one in particular, because I like to leave a lot of things unfinished and uncertain, but there also needs to be a sense of finality and a resolution there emotionally, at least. But when everything's happened in one night, it's not like we've come to the end of some grand epic journey across space and time and we've learned all these things, right? That's happening on a smaller scale. And so I think finding a way to like tie things up, but not have it be so tied up with a bow on it that it was like cheesy and didn't feel true to the characters, right? I read that you, you love writing the first draft. Yes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's so much fun. I just, I love like the first time getting the story onto the page and hearing the voices. And as a person with a lot of anxiety, writing a first draft is a lot more freeing for me because I don't have, I, I can tell myself that I'm just going to like worry about details later. Like if something's wrong, it's like, oh, well, that's what editing's for. Right. And the number of times I can tell myself that, which really allows me to focus on the first draft. But then when I get into editing, at some point, it's the last time I get to look at something. And that is when it gets really stressful because I can no longer say like, oh, well, we'll perfect that later. So, I mean, in, in that way, it's, it's less stressful because 
I, it's not final. Like it's, it's supposed to be rough. So they're less, you know, expectations of perfection, which can be difficult to manage mentally. But I also, it's just really fun to play with the characters the first time. And I, I really enjoy plotting and that's always coming together the first time you're going through something. Same with dialogue. I always have to, I, I tend to have to force myself to write settings. So that comes later, but you get to do all the fun things you like the first time around. That's right. Yeah. They, I've read that and I've heard that, that the first draft is for you. Yeah. Right. And every draft after that is either for the editors or the readers. So you you have to do like a total brain dump and get it all out in that first draft. Right? You're not a big fan of revisions, though. I am not. I, I, <laughs> I think I got better at them with this book. I, I think I'm decent at revisions. I just complain about it a lot to everybody around me. So <laughs> I guess I could say like my friends and family are not fans of revision because they have to hear me complain about it a lot. It's honestly, it's just, it's so stressful to me to, if you're really doing a really like deep revision to tear apart something that like, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't have written it in the first place. Right. That's generally my mindset, but it's hard to take something apart and like have it be in pieces. And I know it's going to come back together, but I don't like it being apart in the first place. Um, and like I mentioned with like the first draft and why I like that eventually with revisions, it, it has to be as perfect as it's going to get. And you have to say like, okay, press send, print, whatever. And that's always like a hard moment for me to come to grips with. Yeah. What's your writing process like? I, I need, I'm, I need pretty big chunks. I'm not a person who can write a few sentences here and there, but not to say that I like sit and write for hours. I need like hours to alternate between writing and watching YouTube videos um so it's a really sophisticated process I I have a short attention span TikTok isn't helping I and so I I do need time to really dive into the writing but I also don't just stare at a blank page for too long right I'll I'll flip between things or I'll be doing more than one one thing at a time um and I find that that helps me from getting too frustrated when I'm getting stuck coffee coffee's a must um, I like writing at coffee places because I get in my head that people will judge me if I'm not doing something that looks like work on my screen. So that motivates me. Okay. That's the funniest thing. It's like it's, a bunch of strangers are judging you for just staring out into space, like some psychopath. Yeah. It's all about manipulating anxiety to force myself to be productive. That's my writing routine. It works. Yeah, um, it, it works. Yes. Okay. So uh, in your bio, I need to ask some questions about you as a person. What is the most photographed hamster? Okay. So I had a hamster when I was in middle school. So my family had had a dog, right? Um, this dog, I wasn't a big fan of the dog. It was really old by the time I knew the dog was a dog. And it was just really annoying. Finally, the dog died, right? Hopefully my dad doesn't listen to this. He was very attached. Um, but finally the dog died. So I could get this hamster that I've been coveting. And so I got a hamster and it was my first time having a pet that was my own. And so this hamster was doted upon, like in the era pre Instagram, I had thousands of pictures of this hamster. It had the cushiest hamster, little hotel. The hamster got like playtime every single day out in the house. It competed in a hamster ball derby hosted by Petco. So I was just 
very invested in this hamster for the year and a half that it was alive before it perished because hamsters are barely animals. Um, but I, I still have, they're pretty grainy photos, but I still have a lot of them. That's hysterical. Um, what is a para educator? I noticed that in a bio that you oh, are. Yeah. What is that? It is like a, a teaching assistant. So sort of, or a behavioral aid in some context. So I worked at a, um, I worked at a high school in Seattle that um, was predominantly for autistic students and kids with other developmental disabilities. Um, and so as a, as a para, then I would be sort of like the one-on-one aid for students, or sometimes I'd work with a whole class um, on whatever their particular learning goals were. So it varies a lot from context to context, but just sort of like hands-on with students. And you, but you don't work in that, you're a full-time writer now. Yes. Now I'm a full-time writer that I lived in Seattle. Then I lived in Oregon. Now I live in, so I've sort of moved about, um, as my husband has gotten new jobs, different places, but yes, now I'm a full-time writer, occasionally a part-time cookie decorator. Um, but the writing is taking up a little too much time right now. So when you're taking breaks and watching YouTube videos, what are you watching? Oh, that's a really embarrassing question. Well, right now I'm watching all the lyric videos for the new Taylor Swift album, um, which was problematic enough when the songs were like five minutes long, but now that the songs are 10 minutes long, it's like really taking up a chunk of my time. Other than that, what do I watch? I like watching like a lot of booktubers. So I like watching book reviews and people talking about writing, even if it's, you know, people telling me I should be writing. That's still soothing to listen to, um, you know, random animal videos. I like watching people play the Sims. I don't really play the Sims. I just watch people playing the Sims. Okay. That's funny. You know, things like that. Normal just in case who, one day you might want to play the Sims. I used to, it just takes up a lot of time. So I listen to people play it in the background. You are a fan of reality shows. Yes, I hey, am. What's your favorite? I used to be very into the entire bachelor franchise. I've gotten off that a little bit. I love also survivor. I'm a big survivor fan. I haven't watched the newest season, but I've watched all 40 seasons of that. I like it when it's like competitive and kind of cutthroat and people aren't really pretending to be nice. I enjoy that. Like I live vicariously through them. What else? I was a big dance mom stand back in the day. Like I was, I used to dance or I still do dance. Um, and so dance moms was like the best before I realized that like all of the children were being traumatized. And then that was a little bit of a turnoff. What kind of dancing do you do? I, in college, I did a lot of, um, ballroom and Latin dancing. That's actually uh-huh. where I met my husband. We were dance partners. Um, but now I'm in an adult jazz and tap dance group. We like compete in local competitions. And For real. Yeah. It's really fun. Apparently it's like in Minnesota, it's a pretty big thing. There are like adult dance teams. It's very fun. It's like reliving, you know, high school, except it's like the dancers who are at the bar instead of your parents. Let's talk about your blog and why, why it's structured, structured as a top 10 themes. Uh, it's structured that way because I'm too lazy to uh, write in a narrative form if I'm not crafting something that's more important. Um, I just think list making is fun and I do it in notes apps all the time. And I like arbitrary arbitrary structures can be fun for writing. You know how poets always say that? I say that like I know anything about poetry. I don't write poetry. I suck at poetry. Yeah, me too. (laughs) 
If you want to learn more about my pathetic poetry skills, head on over to episode 16 of season one. That was the final episode of that season where I talked to five of the six poets from the Espresso Poetry Collective, and they helped me out by essentially giving me a poetry cheat sheet on how to be better at poetry, reading, and writing, neither of which I've done yet. But please don't tell anyone. (laughs) But in that way, I think it's fun because it's sort of a, a mind game of like, what can I fit into this format? Okay, I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to give you a rundown of some of the topics on Kalina's blog. The top 10 Pop-Tart flavors that I referred to earlier. Top 10 social media pet peeves. Top 10 worst Grey's Anatomy characters. (laughs) That's a good one. Worth the read. Also, top 10 Schitt's Creek episodes. Whoop, whoop. I'm a big Schitt's Creek fan. Top 10 West Wing episodes. Top 10 wedding comedies. Honestly, you could get lost in these top 10 lists for hours. Thoroughly enjoyable. Thanks for writing those, Kalina. I thoroughly enjoyed the Pop-Tarts, and I am very sad. Here in Canada, we don't have all those flavors of Pop-Tarts. Really? Yeah, really. We have the basics. Uh Occasionally, so we'll get s'mores. I'm pretty sure, and I'm not a big Pop-Tart aficionado. My husband is. And I, mm. and he loves strawberry ice cream. So I can tell you that if there was ever strawberry milkshake in this country, it would have been in my house. <laughs> so, you know, y'all please don't send me like emails like crazy, but we had it in milkshake. Canada. I'm, I'm sure that we didn't. And now I'm really disappointed when I read that it was just a special flavor, it, a special it edition. I know it's dated my book now because when I was writing, I was wandering through the Pop-Tart aisle and I like took a picture of all the different flavors I can mention. And that was one of them. And I didn't realize it wasn't going to be sticking around. Right. What's your favorite? So I don't actually uh. really like Pop-Tarts. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You rate them, but you won't eat them. <laughs> I was in a Pop-Tart phase while I was working on the book. It was like one month where I was really into Pop-Tarts, right? You sort of go through like food phases. I think I like, I like the classics, like the brown sugar cinnamon, any variety of that like the cinnamon roll ones are really good see we have like half a freaking aisle of pop tarts it's an excessive number of pop tarts and now they have the pop tart minis and so they're little bite-sized pop tarts and then they have the pop tart sticks they're in all different forms now too yeah we don't we, we don't have those in canada we probably will never see them i think we have uh blueberry strawberry frosted chocolate i think we have some unfrosted ones but they might have to, we don't get the wide range of flavors. I had no that, idea. Yeah. That you I, that's see. probably better for like the culture, generally speaking. <laughs> right? A um, lot of pop tarts. Yeah, it is a lot. It's like going to Hawaii in the grocery store. If you've ever been and yeah. the spam. So I, much spam. I did not have, I thought there was one flavor of spam my entire life until what, 2015 when I went to Hawaii and there's like a half an aisle filled with all different all flavors. Spam. Bam, teriyaki, pineapple teriyaki, sweet and sour. <laughs> it went on and on. So, okay. So beyond my experience directly with the grocery stores in Hawaii, where I was overcome with the selection of spam, I have discovered that there is even more out there that I didn't even know about. There's spam with cheese, spam with black pepper, 
Spam with turkey. Hot and spicy spam. Chorizo spam. Spam with hickory smoke. And there are even seasonal flavors. So yes, my friends, you can get pumpkin spice spam. Is there something wrong with me? Because I suddenly feel like I want to have a spam night at home where we try a whole bunch of different spam. I've never, ever had spam pass my lips. So maybe it's time. Hit me up if you want a party canned meat style. Let's talk about Schitt's Creek because you're a fan. I am a fan. Um, How many times have you watched the entire series? Uh, Five or six. (laughs) It's also, I think when things are like 20 minute episodes, that's another thing that I can kind of have on in the background. I'm a person who rewatches things a lot because like the second and third and fourth and fifth times through, I don't need to be actually focusing and I can sort of zone in and out. So you'll have it playing while you're writing. Yes. Oh, interesting. And it doesn't distract you. No, if I'm like really like actually writing, writing, then I'll pause it. But if I'm just sort of thinking and scrolling through things, then yeah, I'll have something on in the background. What has some of the feedback been um, about the night when no one had sex? I overall, it's been such lovely feedback from people, which is really, really fun for me. Even people who don't like the book, I always just get a kick out of the fact that like somebody I don't know is reading my book. Like that's still such a novel concept that it's very amusing to me. Um, I think my favorite, and I should have anticipated this writing a book with four POVs, but everybody wants to tell me what their favorite character is. (laughs) And everybody wants to tell me their favorite and least favorite POVs. And it is honestly not what I expected. And it's not the way I feel. So it's been really fun to see everybody's opinions. Oh, really? Tell me about that. Everybody loves Alex and Leah. And I think they were the hardest for me to write. So I don't feel as, you know, I don't think like, oh my God, it's so much fun, right? Because it was stressful when I was writing it. But everybody loves them. I've gotten some feedback that was like, this book would have been better if it was just them. And I'm like, okay, noted. Um, (laughs) People tend to not like Madison as much, but I love Madison. I she love Madison too. So I do. Yeah. And I always, it's just fun for me because I think that's also just your personality, right? Like who do you vibe with the most? Who do you gel with? Um, or who do you aspire to be like? Yeah, right? exactly. And yeah. so I think it's it's been fun for me to see that feedback because it's so, it's so like individualized, right? It's so personal to the... To the reader it certainly is do you read the reviews I do I know that everybody says like don't read reviews blah 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 I don't understand how people can have people talking about them on the internet and not read it like I I don't I just have a compulsion I don't really read anything very closely but I'll like skim it to see if someone hates me um and yeah. how do you process that do you have a I, thick skin not in general, but with reviews, yes, which is weird because norm I if someone like read the book and hated me as a person after it, then that would devastate me. I would be like a mess for weeks, right? But if they just hate the book, it's like I hate plenty of books. Like that's fine, right? Um and so that doesn't really bother me, I think, because I'm still in that phase where I'm so impressed that they even read it to begin with. <laughs> I'm very easily excitable. So I guess that helps. The one that the one that bothered me the most was someone mentioned that I made a mistake with the color of cat eyes. And I was like, no, surely I didn't. And I went back to the manuscript 
I totally did. And now I hate that that error is in there. Right. Um, so they were a hundred percent right, but that's the one I think that bothered me the most because they were right. Wow. And, and I just want to go back and change the color of the freaking cat's eyes. Nope. You can't. Can't do it. <laughs> nope. Um, okay. Next project. Break a leg, Shannon Carter. Yeah. How exciting. I'm so excited. I literally got an email yesterday with the um, cover artist for the book and I'm freaking out because I love their work, but it's just, a it's, it's my first middle grade. And so that's really fun because I love writing for that audience. Um, but it's also a book that's really important to me because it's about like a kid um, dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder, which um, is something that I identify with very strongly. Um, and it's also about sort of that and community theater and messy friendships. And so in so many different ways, it's sort of like the book of my heart to use that really cheesy line. So I'm very, very excited about it. I've been working on it for a really long time. I actually wrote the first draft of Break a Lake Shannon Carter before I even wrote The Night When No One Had Sex. It's been through that many rounds of revision. So I'm excited for it to finally exist in the world. What scene are you most proud of? I think I, my favorite scene is Madison and, and Jake on the roof. Um, when they climb up on the roof, sort of in the middle of the book, um, with the goal of having sex up there. I, that is one scene that I wrote like on a whim randomly in the middle of the night and it barely changed. And I just, I, every time I read it, I just like crack up. Like I still, I still love it. I still think it works. Um, and usually I'm very critical, like reading back through things where there are things I want to change. And that one, I'm like, no, just let it be. I, I, so I'm really, I'm really proud of that one. I think that sort of gets at the spirit of the book and the energy that I was sort of channeling throughout. Was there a scene in the final draft or sorry, was there a scene in the, in one of your drafts that did not make it into the final book? Yeah. A few, Oh, actually one sort of major storyline got completely shifted. Um, Alex and Leah in the final book are experiencing conflict based on who their families are and sort of their role in local civil disputes, shall we say. In the original manuscript, it was more directly linked to American politics, um, but I decided to change all of that. Um, one, when the book uh, sold first in Germany, actually, and I realized that wasn't going to translate very well into another country, especially a non-English speaking country. And second, when Trump was elected, it didn't quite have the same levity that I needed it to for the jokes to work. And maybe the jokes didn't work in the first place. Like I can sort of acknowledge that, but I think, you know, partisan politics just stopped being funny. What do you love about being a writer? I love, <laughs> I love writing, but it's true. I, I think the, the ability to, to, or the opportunity to turn something that I've always been passionate about and have always really loved into a career is just an immense privilege that I don't take for granted. Um, I just having a creative career in general is something that I feel extremely fortunate to have because getting to have so much fun while you're working and getting to think about things that are intellectually stimulated while you're quote unquote working is something that's fantastic. It's a dream come true. And so I think every, and I, I also, I, I know a lot of people, a lot of authors don't feel this way, but I also really enjoy the 
publishing side of things and marketing and publicity and emails, like all of that is really, is really fun for me. So there's not really a part of the job that I, I don't enjoy, which I know is a rare thing, but I'm very grateful for it. When did you realize that either you wanted to be a writer or that you had the talent to be a writer? I had always loved writing. I'd all, I mean, I'd written creatively as a kid and then in college, then I really, um, excelled because of my writing and I found that I could rely on that a lot Um, I worked in the writing center I had jobs surrounding writing right and so I always figured it would be an important part of my career whatever that turned out to be Um, and then I realized that that's all I wanted my career to be which is sort of a difficult and tenuous decision to make because it is so uncertain. Yeah, I, there's certainly no guaranteed paycheck in this no, in this not so line of work. <laughs> not so. I mean, I'm extremely fortunate to have a husband who does have a guaranteed paycheck, so I was able to take risks in ways that other people were not, which I know um, makes me extremely fortunate in that regard. Um, but I just I decided to go back to school because I also love school. Um, and get my MFA in writing. And that was like the coolest thing I'd ever done. And that was when I was like, okay, I've got to do this in some, some capacity, whether it's writing or editing or teaching. And now I'm doing all of those things. So that's great. What's the most challenging thing about being a writer? Not having control over anything. You have control over that first draft. I have control over the first draft. I think having, you know, just waiting for your life to happen in the inbox of your Gmail account. I think it's always really hard for me. And I think that the pace at which things go, like things move so slowly and that's so painful because I can like, I move very quickly. And so having to like slow down and take a break and like Zen out a little bit is difficult. What is it about writing for younger audiences that you enjoy? The happy, cute answer is like, that's when everybody loves reading the most, right? Is when, when you're, at least that's when I loved reading the most is when I was, when in elementary school and middle school and even into high school. And so writing for a group of readers who genuinely enjoy reading and aren't being forced to read and are really passionate about reading, that's that's super rewarding and so much fun. Um, on a craft level, I mean, the books are a lot shorter and there's something to be said for that for one. Also, I really enjoy the sort of the pacing and the technique of children's books. I that works better with my brain and with my natural voice. I think when I have tried to write adult things, it always feels like I'm there's something kind of slowing me down or like I need to be slowing down. I like that middle grade and YA books sort of like get off the ground running. How long would you say it takes you to write a book for, like a first draft? If I need to or want to, I can write a first draft in two months. What? Um, for real? Yeah. <sighs> Holy cow. Sometimes I take longer. I, if it's YA, it'll probably be longer, but it also depends sort of on what, you know, what else is going on in life, because that's if I'm really sitting down to write the book. Right. Um, but if I have like a round of revisions come back from an editor, or if I have some teaching gig come up, then everything gets put on hold. And then it takes a little bit to get back into the writing rhythm again. Well, I want to congratulate you on the night when no one had sex. It's really a fun read. Thank Brings you. back all the good memories of high school. <laughs> I like I, to focus on the good. I enjoyed every page of this book and the characters are delightful. So congratulations on that. Yay, thank, uh, you. thank you, Kalina, for your time. And uh, I'm looking forward to spring 2023. Yay.
when your middle grade comes out. Yes, me too. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can check out Kalina over at her website, kalinamiller.com. You can follow her on Twitter at It's Kalina Miller. Uh, Same handle on Instagram, and she's also on Facebook under Kalina Miller. I'll post links in the show notes. Thanks again for giving me your ears. If you enjoy this podcast, please hit up subscribe so that it always lands in your podcast player whenever a new episode drops. I'd also love it if you could take a minute to rate and review because that tells other people that this is a podcast worth listening to. If you want to check out my own books, you can visit my website, danagoldstein.ca. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for sticking around past the credits. Here's your bonus content. Hey, Kalina, tell me something not a lot of people know about you. Okay. Um, Well, I am, I consider myself to be an extreme crafter. Like I always have to be crafting, um, something the only craft I've really like totally failed at is knitting like I can't and crocheting I can't can't make sense of the needles that's just too much but I recently got back into needle felting so this is going to be my fun fact because I've actually I've re-fallen in love with needle felting I used to be more of a cross stitcher but I am working on some Christmas garland right now in the past I've done shadow boxes full of uh, felted fruits and vegetables And then I'm going to be moving on to some like stationary gnomes, which hopefully will be charming, but it's actually a great form of catharsis because like all you're doing is stabbing over and over, like you're stabbing thousands of times. And like, if stabbing something that much creates art, then, you know, there's no, there's no choice, but to enjoy it. What's the matter? All that killing, you're afraid to die. You're about to get it back. Uh, 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 uh.